think that I want all my misspoken words to be transcribed, though. It actually costs more if you want them to do it totally verbatim. No, I don't want the ums. I want them, like, things when I mess up idioms, you know? It's like, <laughs> I get, like, half the idiom, and then, like, it's like, fuck it, move on. cosplay parade in new york city i'm your host shane and i'm your host ishan and welcome to episode 53 of total party thrill a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours in this episode we're talking about skipping character creation and using pre-generated characters but first the party goes on the offensive in the morning glory campaign and the spell duelist proves the wand is mightier than the sword in the character creation forge all right, so we're recording this a little bit in advance, but when it is released, it will be the first day of Gen Con. And we will be there. We are here. Yeah, come say hi to us. Uh, <laughs> find us on Twitter. Let us know where you are. We will happily meet up with anybody and grab a beer. Or some other variety of alcohol. Yeah, or, you know, just a game or whatever, if there's beer there. Yeah, <laughs> a dry game. Right. <laughs> Uh, no, we've, we've got some plans. We're going to put our schedule up on the website so you can kind of track what we have planned to do. And then there's going to be a lot of blank space where we're just hanging out with friends, meeting up with people, that sort of thing. Yeah, we are open to opportunity. Right. Yeah, we 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 don't RSVP for things. So <laughs> we are always looking for a better offer. The only place that we're 100% sure we actually will be at is the Ennies on Friday night. Yeah, if you would like to come and watch us lose, mm-hmm. then... Uh, not once, but twice. Wait, what? Well, we're not going to get uh, the gold. Oh, or the silver. Also, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. okay, good point. <laughs> but if you'd like to come watch the Ennies with us, let us know on Twitter, reach out, and we would be thrilled to have a cheering section mourning our loss. <laughs> we even have a few t-shirts. Uh, we do have t-shirts. That is, the, that is the big spoiler of Gen Con. We have t-shirts. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's the other thing is you can find us walking around in navy blue t-shirts with the Total Party Thrill logo. Uh, not the yellow logo, but the D20 with a party hat. You know, we should have done something with it. We should make party hats is what we should do. For our anniversary, we should have party hats. Yeah, we should uh, have party hats. Yeah. We're always dressed for an anniversary. It's too bad that we're not a visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we would have to not look like garbage right. when we record. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. I just rolled out of bed. <laughs> Mr. Migraine. (laughs) All right, what are we doing in the Morning Glory campaign? (laughs) They're doing worse than we are. That's true. (laughs) Because they've just been framed for mass murder by Merrick Stekanath. Yeah, one of the towers in Sharn collapsed uh, while we were in the vicinity. Look, it was Merrick's tower, so like it's fine that he blew up his own tower because he owned it. Yeah, ask the 6,000 people he killed. Including our friend Molly Bolt, one yes. of the unfortunate casualties of this disaster. One of the very first people that you ever actually saved. Right, and who literally sacrificed her life to get us into that tower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we went in looking for the skull of Ral Tukesh, who we-, we believe is currently owned by the Lord of Blades, who is working alongside Merrick's. And uh, we did not acquire it last time, nope. so we're going to make another pass at that. <laughs> There's not really anything else for you to do. No. <laughs> in for a dime, in for a dollar. <laughs> so fortunately, you had your friend Maven DeCaniff, who's got feelers all over the city. She knows what's going on. And she knows that Merricks has now retreated to an airship that is circling 
parts of the city while he is making overtures to the Sharn City Council, trying to basically get them to hunt all of you guys down. Yeah, he's putting us on the no-fly list. <laughs> Breland's most wanted. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great to expand just to, into a, a mini campaign all on its own, having you guys uh, trying to avoid the King's Dark Lanterns. Yeah. <laughs> all throughout Sharn. Oh, yeah. You got to lay low. Right. <laughs> But we do have some knowledge, or at least some scouting, that Merrix has gone to the council meeting alone, that the Lord of Blades is not with him, so we safely assume he is on the airship, and thus we hatch a plan to ambush the Lord of Blades <laughs> on that airship. <laughs> I'm sure that'll go great. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so, yeah, divide and conquer. The party decides it's certainly better to face them separately than together. Yeah, look, if your villain wants to split his party, you let him, <laughs> and then you... you Pick them apart piece by piece. So again, the party is level 16, maybe even 17 at this point. The airship is circling a neighborhood of Sharn above most of the tower. So it's approximately 2,000 feet in the air, but it comes relatively close to a lot of these towers. Just think like a, a Zeppelin that would moor at the top of the Empire State Building. Yeah. So the party's very good at teleporting. They just get to the top of a nearby tower, wait till the airship swings on by, and then teleport over. Some of them are invisible, some of them are stealthing, but they don't notice any guards. And they walk over to the hatch, open it up, and hop down. Yeah, we find Merrick's room, and inside we find a rather strange object. Right, so there are two objectives for the party. One is find and kill the Lord of Blades and take his face. And the other is find some sort of exonerating evidence, because... They like Sharn and they don't want to actually be wanted for mass murder. Yeah. I don't yeah. I think the players like Sharn. None of us really had an attachment to Sharn. Yeah, that's well. Other than Maven. Right. Our, our friends live here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Our one friend. Oh, and, and Bastion was thinking, you know, I hear there's a creation forge somewhere like in the basement. Oh yeah. Right. I don't want to blow that up. <laughs> so what was the strange thing that we find in Merrick's room? It was a small globe made of overlapping metal leaves that was covered in small green lights in a spiral around the entire outside. And most of the lights are lit, and it is emitting a very high-pitched whine. So we figured that wasn't good. He decided he didn't want to touch it. Because we've learned that touching things <laughs> sometimes turns out poorly for us. So naturally, we attempt to use telekinesis. And... The spell is absorbed by the object in much the same way that the spells that the party threw at Merrick's was absorbed. A few more of the lights turn green and the wine gets even more high-pitched. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> so the party says, all right, no more magic. All right, so we'll touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and when they do that, nothing happens. Everything's okay. They find a few interesting-looking papers, and then the Lord of Blades rushes in. Right. Because he noticed. He noticed. <laughs> so, fortunately, we kind of have him pinned into a tight space, right? I didn't know how he was made, but you did. So, why don't you talk about what the Lord of Blades statted as? <laughs> I used a Garistro. Well, so I love the abilities of the Garistro, especially for, like, a large mobile bruiser. Yeah, so the Garistro is, like, the bull demon. Who, like charges at things right right like, tramples. And it, it's got that amazing charge ability where if they you know make a charge attack then they basically double the damage of their gore which is 14 d10 yeah 
So it's extremely damaging. Lots of fun, lots of fun for everybody because you know, hey, I'm rolling a fistful of dice and someone might die. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I use the stats of an Empyrean as a guideline. Again, remember this is the party. They've got the advantage. They they're expecting this combat. The Lord of Blades is not necessarily so. You know, throwing them against one CR twenty three creature with additional legendary actions and a killer main attack, I felt was well, not fair, but doable. You also <laughs> took away all spell casting. <laughs> <laughs> you could have experimented a little bit. There were there were some spells cast. Yeah, but in the moment, we didn't have time to think <laughs> through this. Like, yes, we could have put an anti-magic field somewhere else and then brought it to the anti-magic field, and then we probably would have been fine. Yes, yes, I, I realize this in retrospect. <laughs> but seeing as we were currently being charged by an angry Lord of Blades yes. powered by the skull of Raltul Kesh, <laughs> huh, yeah, maybe the Rage of War dominated my thought process a bit. <laughs> probably smart. Because he dished out a ton of damage. Yeah. Uh, including to the side of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> My plan initially was basically to reward you guys with an airship, a mobile base, which we've often advocated on the show. But yeah, I think it was through a combination of the Lord of Blades basically ramming his face through the side of the Sorewood hull, and then the rest of you going, uh, someone get out of here with that strange device and let's just start dropping fireballs. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. needs to happen. <laughs> and the tide began to turn. This is a small enclosed space, so the Lord of Blades couldn't always charge. Sometimes he had to like knock down a support pillar yeah, before it was he like, could do that. It was like reverse kiting. <laughs> like, stay close. Right, get, get up. Get up right next to him. Right. <laughs> not me. Not me. Yeah. The Calic. Yeah. <laughs> One of you idiots. Get in there. <laughs> and Bahar's like, I have this globe thing. Right. I should stand over here. As the party is finally beginning to press the advantage, however, two bolts of green light fire from the darkness. One hits Kallik and one hits Bastion. Bastion drops dead. Kallik totally shrugs it off, and Merrick Stekaneth steps out of the darkness and starts flinging some spells. So, yeah, twin power word kill. That's cool. So, mechanically, power word kill is if the target has fewer than 100 hit points, or 100 hit points or fewer, it just dies. Yeah. I didn't know what your hit points were, so Merrick's just targeted the two who looked the most ragged. <laughs> Bastion, being the monk, had fewer than 100 hit points. Kallik had 102. Oh, nice. And I was just like, no, I wanted to kill two of you. <laughs> yeah, you really wanted to waste that twin revivify next round. <laughs> I could do this all day, Merrick. All day. Do you remember who struck the killing blow on the Lord of Blades? Uh, I do not. Neither do I. But someone did, because finally the beast fell. Actually, it took multiple hits, because he he kept shrugging off death. He had a, a, the Barbarian's Relentless Rage ability, yeah. where he just had to keep making constitution saving throws. Right, yeah. yeah. So we, we kept beating him down below zero, and then he would bounce he back would up to very, one hit. Very, yeah, very yeah. nearly die, but then he'd drop to a knee right. and stand back up. Gore. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we finally did beat him to death. Uh <laughs> And the skull sort of pops off and and the body begins to burn away. Yeah, so we did what we usually do in this situation. Take the money and run. (laughs) (laughs) Bahar, being the one who had previously grabbed the heart of Katoshka, said, oh, how bad could this be? (laughs) It can't be worse than that. (laughs) Grabbed it with his bare hands 
and jumped out the hole in the airship. To be fair, I think he grabbed it and then dropped it was his thing, right? <laughs> like He knew he wasn't going to be holding it long term. So I think he dropped it <laughs> mid-flight. Yeah. If I can survive a 2,000-foot fall, so can this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a relic from ancient times. Right. However, he did follow it out. Right. <laughs> and the rest of you were left in here with Max DeCanneth. Yeah. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So for our main topic this week, we're going to talk about using pregens, apropos, given that we're at a gaming convention and we'll probably be playing with only pregens all week. Yep, there are going to be a lot of those character sheets that you've never seen before. You flip it over, you look at the portrait and go, oh, that's me. Okay. Yeah, cool. I'm this guy. <laughs> I dig it. Can I change the name? No? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So what are pregens? They're... Those pre-made, ready-to-run characters. If you've played an RPG, you've seen them somewhere before. Often they'll be at the back of the source book. There are a few pre-made characters that you can just begin running with. Or sometimes during a preview or Adventurers League or something like that, you'll just get them handed out, uh, pre-produced by Wizards of the Coast or whatever company is happening to make this particular game. Yeah, or, you know, at con games, usually it's recommended that GMs bring pregens because it saves you time. You're not doing character creation at the table. But the idea here is that you have very limited input from the players. Usually it's because the GM is handing them out to you or because the GM has just built the character that you wanted in advance. So it has not been released yet, but it will be shortly. Uh, I played a game of Hunter the Vigil with the Sharkbone podcast uh, hosted by Devin, and he basically asked all the players, what kind of character do you want to play? And so I was like, well, I think I want to be like a big bruising old cartel boss, you know, who saw a werewolf and had a crew get wrecked and was never quite the same afterwards. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I got you. And then he just turned around and handed me a sheet, you know, 30 minutes later that had this charismatic brawler of a character on it. And I was like, great, this is, this is my guy. We're good to go. Awesome. No input on it. It was awesome. <laughs> like, uh, which, by the way, uh, World of Darkness systems, great if you don't have to build characters. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of systems that are awesome if you don't have to build. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that you say that Devin used pregens, even though it wasn't necessary. Because right? well, I, didn't, I didn't give him anything about the mechanics of the character, mm -hmm. right? All I did was say, hey, I want to be this background. This is my concept for a character you give me a sheet. And I had no input on the sheet. And that's certainly one of the benefits of using pre-gen characters. There's no onus on the players except to, in this case, provide a character idea. But usually, you don't even offer that. Yeah, usually you're just picking which character idea you want to play out of the six at the table. Right. Right. And there's... there's five of you so one of these doesn't need to get played right but if if like the dwarf is the only one that's left you're the dwarf right this is very fast it's excellent for those pickup games that you're going to be playing this weekend it's great if you just want to dive in and learn a new system the best way to do it is just to learn by doing you know you don't leaf through the php and go oh, what class do i want to be you got a class you got a character play it and see how you like it yeah so this drives me nuts just as an aside about role-playing games 
like everyone writes that section at the beginning what is a role-playing game as though this is the first <laughs> game that somebody is going to pick up and then instead of telling them anything about the world or how to play the game or any of those things they dive right in the minutia of character creation right <laughs> and so it's like read these 90 pages of all these like fine mechanical texts right and you have no idea what kind of game you're even signing up for. right appendix c the world right <laughs> cross-reference table 7-d it's like all right how about we just play and then i'll figure it out from there that cool that's what pregens give you yeah it's a nice opportunity to inhabit the kind of character that you see all the time in fiction which is the one who doesn't know anything about anything right because yeah. i grew up on a farm that was <laughs> me playing hunter actually <laughs> i was like so is it like true blood <laughs> like people know about these things it's like true blood or... true blood is like world of darkness huh? <laughs> well yeah i mean fair enough but but i'm like or is it like dracula no one uh, knows these supernatural creatures really exist mm-hmm. right but yeah all i needed was a frame of reference and i was just you know and know that i needed d10s and then i was good to go right it's great for gms who want to introduce a new system that other people are unfamiliar with yep if you have a gaming group like we do where we sort of rotate around and people suggest different systems that other people may not have even heard of it's a a nice way to get that buy-in for maybe a longer campaign you're just okay i'm going to build some characters i'm going to bring them you pick see how you like the system and then maybe we'll end up playing it more if you guys like it if you hate it one session no big deal yeah and it it simplifies that session right so like you said for one shots for trials you've got a whole section of the book only one person needs to understand Mm -hmm. and then that's also great when you've got GMs on a time crunch or maybe you're burned out, something mm-hmm. like that, you can very tightly control what's going to be at the table. It just makes it simpler. You don't have to try and incorporate six disparate backstories and different character concepts and these ideas that might not make any sense with the game you want to run. You get to very well distill that down. We've talked about before how I'll keep Brazendell, the town, in my back pocket. So if we need a starting location, you know, you just whip out Brazendell and there it is. I highly suggest at some point if you are a GM who likes to run pickup games or is open to you know bringing new people into the hobby, build a few pregens for a system that you like and just keep them around like in a PDF on your phone or email them to yourself or something so that at any time you could just be like, oh, right, I have this balanced party. You guys want to pick? Yeah. Let's just, let's just do this. Yeah, I'll, let's show you how this is played. Right. Yeah, I keep the Lost Mind of Fandelver. Uh, pre-gens mm, for D D. Mm-hmm. And half the time when I need a D D character at first level, I'm just like, all right, yeah, I'll just take one of those. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. First level D D characters basically all the same. <laughs> right, yeah. Like <laughs> all right, so I'll be a wizard, a cleric, a fighter, or a rogue. Those fine. are your options. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's it's a one shot from first level, I'm fine. <laughs> this gives you really nicely predefined party dynamics. You've got the party cohesion already built in. There might be some conflict that you've worked out either between the abilities of the PCs or even some of the backstories that you may have written out. Personalities. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always great. This is this is how you can make sure that you have uh, the bitter former lovers in your party. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like having these party dynamics that as a GM, you can sort of explain, right? Like, oh, this character and this character have this kind of relationship already established is great when you've got a pickup game or you've got groups of players that don't really know each other, mm-hmm. you can give everyone something that they can kind of attach to at the, at the table, right? My character and your character get along. My character and your character have a rivalry, right? Right, so above the table, people are now invested in the game as well and interacting with other players. Right, 
because a lot of times, if you don't do this, you'll find that every character interacts individually with the DM, but the characters never role play with each other. Yeah, right, or so. or they spend like twenty minutes reading their sheet uh, or that. Yeah. What am I? What am I able to do? Right. <laughs> I will say we've talked about specialist players before who play the same kind of character concept over and over again. Sort of handing out these pre-gen characters is an opportunity to get them to expand their horizons. And if they don't want to do that, let them pick first. <laughs> <laughs> I want the weird rat. Right. Uh, the. There aren't any? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fine, Rogue. Then the other thing is that in uh, a lot of homebrew or new systems, and when you're playtesting, those sorts of things, there might not be any other option. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, character creation just doesn't exist yet. Uh, you're the only one who knows how characters work. In that case, it's good to have pregens. Otherwise, your players are going to be very confused. Yeah, you run into this a lot with previews, you know, they're trying to get you to buy the game so they don't want to hand you the the entire game. Right, yeah. Or, I, I mean, starter boxes and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So not every pre-gen character is created equal. There are several different types. The ones we've mostly been talking about are these stock pre-gens from preview adventures or the back of a source book. They've often got some problems built in. Usually they're they're not balanced because their purpose isn't to present a balanced party. It's to showcase particular game mechanics or options for players. Yeah, so you know in a Star Wars adventure, there's going to be some section of piloting a spaceship, Mm -hmm. right? So you're going to have a pilot character because you have to show off those mechanics in a published adventure for Star Wars. Or you're basically stranding the party. (laughs) Yeah, right. But in reality, like, what happens if you don't have an ace pilot in your group? Well, you just stop having those types of adventures, right? right? So Yeah, you know there's going to be a Wookiee. Right. (laughs) There's going to be a Wookiee. There's going to be a smuggler. And there's going to be one person who can use the Force. Uh, And in certain kinds of Star Wars systems, that person is going to wreck everyone else. But there has to be a Force user. Looking at you, D20. (laughs) And then almost always these are going to be first level, lowest level, minimal experience characters. Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, they want to introduce you to the game. They don't want to kick you off with too much complexity. Right, or a four-page character sheet. Yeah. Yeah. But, of course, that means you don't necessarily have a lot of options. Yeah. And then sometimes you see games, they've almost created simulation characters. So they filled in every little detail on the sheet as an example, even though lots of that won't be applicable in the short adventure in the back of the book. Mm -hmm. Going back to the pilot example, right? You probably have a character with a pilot skill, but if piloting isn't core to the game, that might not come up in that adventure. Yeah. It's just a wasted point on the sheet. I'm looking at you, Eclipse Phase, because every <laughs> single one of those books has a bunch of sample characters, and every single one of those characters has like six skills that don't, never even come up in a campaign, right. let alone that one shot. Right. <laughs> Spend points to round out your character, please. <laughs> However, they do usually offer a good cross section of the options and capabilities when taken in aggregate, you know? So. A group of D&D pregen characters that comes directly from Wizards of the Coast almost always has a dwarf, an elf, a human, and then either a halfling or a half-elf or something like that. Yep, and they always have a fighter, a rogue, a cleric, and a wizard, right? (laughs) I mean, those are the iconic archetypes. And it covers all the sections of the game that a newbie might be interested in. Right, yeah. You'll have some exploration tier you'll have some skill and interaction tier and then you'll have combat Mm -hmm. so if you do want to get a good feel for the game that's not a bad route to go because even if you're not the one playing the wizard 
or the halfling, you can watch someone else do it and go, right. oh, that's a really neat mechanic. I like right. that. Yep. And then I think most importantly for publishers, it's fast and it's easy. Mm-hmm. And it gets people playing your game, which gets people enjoying your game. Yeah, there's not a really a way to move more quickly from I open the book to we start rolling dice. Right, right. But I think we are much bigger proponents of a type of pregen that's certainly a lot more complicated and takes a lot more work, but can be a lot more rewarding, which is making your own. Depending on system, you know, it's going to take a lot more time. You're mm-hmm. going to have to make individual characters four, five, six, seven times, depending on how big your game is. Mm-hmm. And you're going to want to make sure that you are getting most of the same benefits from using the stock pre-gen characters you're gonna want to make sure that it's a balanced party that works together that showcases the options and abilities that players can have in the game and also doesn't have any obvious skill gaps Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's that's the thing that drives me nuts is okay so don't throw a challenge at your party if only one of the pre-gen characters can handle it and it's possible that it doesn't get picked (laughs) like or that they've died right (laughs) you know that yeah there's there's a much bigger onus on the GM in these situations. Like, if no one took the history skill, that's your fault. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's one thing, if none of your players build characters with social skills, the players are telling you they don't care about social skills. They don't want to have a very social game. Or they're okay with failing those tasks. Yeah, or, or that, right? So it's on you to make the game fun without doing that because they've, they've voted with their feet of, mm-hmm. of how they want the game to go. But if you've given them the characters and neglected all social skills and then challenged them with social stuff and they just can't succeed, you're a dick. (laughs) You screwed up. This game is no longer fun. (laughs) Fix it. They screwed up the social skills. Someone gets angry. Time for a fight. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And roll initiative. But the time that it takes and the time you need to invest in building each one of these characters from scratch lets you become very, very familiar with that characters abilities which means that if you are dealing with players who aren't very familiar with this system you you're an encyclopedia of these particular characters you can say oh no i know that the ranger actually is excellent at tracking here's how that works because i had to look it all up while i was building it well yeah ideally you will be (laughs) that's that's on you as a gm to be able to play research the abilities that you handpicked to put into this party yes right and then also be aware as play is going on if a player is overlooking abilities that Mm -hmm. might be useful just remind them that they have an ability they don't have to use it but it's an option if you like you could use your gun right (laughs) Uh, just a reminder uh, you're better if you punch things with a sword (laughs) than with your fist wait i have a sword yeah it's on sheet three (laughs) (laughs) That's also on you. So it's at the third <laughs> column over on the right-hand side under uh, weapons and armaments. It's below the spells that you don't have. No, no, not the ones in your footlocker, the ones that are equipped. <laughs> so what should be the goals if you're creating your own pre-gen characters? You definitely want the characters that you're creating to be appropriate for the level of play in the system and the experience of the players that you expect to be playing in this game. So if you are making pre-gen characters for people who've never really played role-playing games before, you're obviously not going to build level 7 Dungeons & Dragons characters because those are actually relatively complicated if you don't know what an RPG is. Yeah, so you want to go for that right match, and you you want to sell your game on the right level too. Mm -hmm. right? You don't want to get your experienced D&D group 
very excited about your campaign and then they come and find out they're back at level one it sounded like we were going to be total badasses (laughs) (laughs) yeah you got to hit that sweet spot so i mean level 15 pcs are probably too complicated to to absorb quickly even like a champion fighter has like nine different abilities i don't know man (laughs) everyone's got that story (laughs) we just we knew we were never going to get a campaign to level 20 so we just built level 20 characters and went for it (laughs) has that ever worked well no (laughs) because gms aren't ready to gm for that you remember the first game I ever GM'd was for level 15 D&D 3.5 PCs. Yeah, you were not ready for that. I was that. not ready. I'm still not ready. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's only because you saw them at level 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 that you're able to do it at 15. And able to go, I really need to make most of this up. Right. <laughs> the other goal is that these should be easy to use characters. They should have relatively simple mechanics you want to lean towards the straightforward not the edge case yeah every game system has the simple mechanics and then the additional subsystems that get more and more complicated if you're dealing with people who have never used this game system before avoid those more complicated ones yeah so if you're playing shadow run skip the decker yeah. Because not only is it a super specialized skill set that, you know, is a different <laughs> different set of rules from the core mechanic, four other players are sitting there watching. So mm-hmm. skip it. If you're playing 40K, you can build a Psyker that one person can use, but maybe don't make them a Biomancer because that just gets really complicated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, shoot, They shoot fire. They shoot fire from their face. Right. And even in games like Pathfinder where you've got frequent changes to stat scores and abilities and modifiers sticking to abilities that aren't maximizing the difference in modifiers and that sort of thing right if you're not constantly keeping track of plus twos and plus fours and plus fives it's a lot easier to play mm-hmm. right limited bonuses and that sort of thing and this you know D. oh well that gives you advantage roll two d20s it's much easier than trying to keep track of those sorts of things yeah static bonuses that are just built into the sheet are far better than almost anything else. oh yeah yeah and <laughs> don't have any math on the sheet yeah <laughs> like, like if you're adding proficiency and you're adding a magic item bonus and you're adding an ability score bonus add them all together and make it a plus nine mm-hmm. don't put plus four plus three plus three because that they doesn't don't... add to nine <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to know where these bonuses are necessarily coming from because it's not going to change. This is probably a one-shot. Right. So in general, physical combat is easier than using magic or something techy like hacking. Yeah. And spells that have defined effects are usually easier than than giving a player an open-ended spell. Yeah. So you might want to give one or two of those because it's okay to have a couple complicated sticks. You just don't want to have everything be complicated, right? Yeah. And when you are showcasing those subsystems or those complicated sticks, each character should only have one or two of those. Right. You want to make sure that they're balanced across the party because you don't want one person having to learn three. Yeah. And you need to know all of those. Right. <laughs> you definitely need to know all of those. <laughs> so no grappling. Right. Um, and then also, if you can, know your players. Think about their strengths and their interests and, and their play styles so that you're building characters that either a personality and, a, and an archetype Will resonate with or the actual abilities and play style will resonate yeah if you know you have a player who enjoys magic but maybe isn't the most creative person then perhaps an evocation wizard and not an illusionist right 
Whereas if you do have someone who really wants to dig down and gets bored with things that they can't sort of make up on their own, Illusionist is perfect. Yeah, and if you know you have that player who likes to quarterback in combat, make sure you put a warlord out there. (laughs) (laughs) And then when people are picking, go, actually, I think you'll really like this one. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, just a sign. Yeah. That's okay, too, if you specifically tailored some of these pregens to particular people. Right. You also want to make sure that each character that you put together will be effective in the game so each of them should have at least one area where they can really shine and that they are the best at in the party yeah i mean you want to bake in role protection you don't want two rogues stepping on each other's toes when they come upon a locked door Mm -hmm. right why do that you knew there was going to be one locked door and two rogues so why set that up and it's okay to have two rogues but have one be the scout rogue or the knowledge rogue, right. and one be the trap rogue. Or set up scenarios where they both need to be doing something at the, at the same, same time. time. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is that lower level tends to be better, but kind of know where your sweet spot is for your system. So, for example, in D&D 5e, level one, you're liable to kill a character in your first combat. It's just risky. Yeah, and bad tactics can definitely get you killed, and yeah. if you're new to the game, you don't necessarily know what the good tactics are. Right. So, you want to balance the forgivability and playability with the ease of grasping it and the complicatedness of the rules. So, I think for 5e, for example, level 3 is a good starting spot. Level 5 is where it starts to get a little confusing, and it's probably more challenging for the DM because you have mm-hmm. to really understand how the power level changes. Right, you're handling those extra attacks. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah I definitely played in a con game where the dm tried he just did not understand what extra attack was going to do to him (laughs) especially especially when he lets me build a character (laughs) that's why you give him a pregen oh no you're level five you multi-class three times i didn't know i that's the thing is i just went straight five levels of barbarian but i knew how to play a barbarian so i was the that was my uh, dwarven battle rager so it was the right and it was that grapple murder build (laughs) you gotta like like we said before you've got to know these characters and you've got to know the party that you built because a level five straight barbarian is gonna crush most things yeah a heavy combat adventure Mm -hmm. which it was you know just gave a lot of chance to shine and i asked beforehand i was like hey is this cool like i'm thinking he's a grappler kind of deal (laughs) and he was like yeah that's fine and it i think it was harder for him than he thought it would be (laughs) but we had fun i mean it was a good session all that matters not complaining Uh, i was awesome yeah (laughs) we had lots of funny moments where i would hold people back and they would just get shivved by the rogues see you're basically a warlord grant advantage (laughs) that was his name his name yeah it was grant Grant advantage Advantage. (laughs) that's a classic dwarven name (laughs) of the iron root advantages right (laughs) so once you've built these characters you want to present them to the players in ways that make the most sense for dealing with a character that you've never really seen before. So just get rid of all that extraneous information that needs to go on a real character sheet that's being used session after session, but that doesn't get used in a single session. Do you need to know how much XP you have? No. In Dark Heresy 2nd Edition, you don't need to list your aptitudes. Yeah. They don't matter. I made that mistake. I (laughs) I wrote down the aptitudes because I was making the characters and it was easier for me to keep Mm -hmm. track of. And then someone was like, what can I do with my willpower aptitude? And I was like, nothing. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) nothing. Spend less XP. (laughs) Later, and we're not getting there. Yeah. (laughs) Tailor these character sheets to the particular PC. 
So you don't need to list a melee weapon and a ranged weapon for every single character if the wizard doesn't use any weapons and the rogue only uses ranged weapons. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, you don't need to list out every single item in the adventuring pack. It's probably fine to just say, you have an adventurer's pack. Right. And then when the player asks, hey, do I have a 10-foot pole? You go, well, what's in your inventory? An adventurer's pack? Yep. Next. Uh, come on, killer GM. You're supposed to be like, did you say you have a 10-foot right. pole? Then you don't. <laughs> right. You have an empty bag that says adventurer. Hey, well, if you're playing Torchbearer, that's fair, right? I mean, that's part <laughs> of the game. <laughs> also, Torchbearer is a weird one to run with pregens. If it's about resource management and you're setting up the resources, it's kind of like, where's that metagame going? I've created you only to fail. Right. It's like being a parent. Right. The other thing that I like is if there's subsystems that you're not using. Devin did a great job of this in Hunter the Vigil. There are, I don't know, whole sections of the sheet that he just put a red X through when he mm-hmm. sent it. And it was just like, no, we're not using that. It's not important. It's a two shot. Yeah. Um you're a melee character. You don't use spells. Yeah. I didn't include any spells. Right. Or a list of spells. Right. You could someday have spells, but not in this game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also a big advocate of arranging the items on the sheet in order of importance to the character. So, if again, if they're a melee bruiser, put the weapons at the top. Yeah. yeah. If they're a skill monkey, put the skills at the top. Yeah. And this isn't always easy to do if you've got a published character sheet, mm-hmm. but, you know work with it as best you can so that the most useful feat that they have is sitting prominently in their ability section and that fringe ability that they might use once if you get really off the rails Mm. that's sitting at the very bottom or maybe even just delete that ability altogether and give them a plus one in something else yeah right (laughs) and then i think the other the other thing that i've seen that's very helpful is um, putting a little blurb or cross-reference around what a certain power or trigger or ability does Mm -hmm. right so whether it's a reference page for your own quick reference or it's just a brief description right a blurb that jogs your memory of how that ability works so when a player looks at it they say oh well i have this tracking ability that gives me it says it gives me advantages when looking or when tracking in a forest i now remember as the dm that that means you get advantage on survival checks great Right, I didn't need to put that level of detail on there. Right. It just said, this is good for tracking things in forests. Right, And then the responsibility is on the player to be like, oh, wait, we're in a forest and we're tracking things? I'm good at that. I've got a thing here. Mm-hmm. Then How they does ask, that work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Right. We, we Roll two dice. Roll another day twice. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you feel about backstory? I think it totally depends on the kind of game. Uh, you could just create characters and have nothing at all about what the characters like or their backstory i think you should at least include a blurb i think you could go multiple paragraphs you probably don't want to do several pages although i know you did that with uh halsey uh i did yeah for halsey (laughs) yeah well that was also for matt and uh i knew that would just kind of overwhelm him (laughs) (laughs) so that was sort of a joke yeah i think for backstory you either want to have not more than a couple sentences of backstory or you want to have relationships defined. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need both, right? So let the players come up with one or the other. And if, if they start sharing their backstories, those relationships will start to emerge mm-hmm. just if you're setting up their backstories in that way. And then they'll discover relationships. Or if you set up the relationships, they'll build backstories to fit, right? right? You two are brothers. Okay, well, why are we in this adventuring party? Well, we got kicked out of the house when we were 16, <laughs> We took to a, a life of 
crime in the streets. He doesn't have a soul. Yeah. <laughs> I have too much of a soul. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it is going to depend on what kind of group you're going to be using these with. If there are already people who know each other really well, you could just list those relationships or nothing at all and just be like, yeah, it's, it's up to you guys. You pick what you look like, what your names are, and how you know each other because yeah. that's what we do every week. Right. Yeah, or prompts are another good thing, mm-hmm. right? Answer a couple questions about this character before we get started. We talked a little bit about gear, um, but I will say keep it very simple. You know, you don't want a whole lot of items that require activation. A plus one sword in this instance is so much better than a sword that you need to turn on, but that does something amazing. Right, yeah. Your bonus action to activate your right. power is just like, wait, what's a bonus action again? Well, then explain to me the action economy yeah. here. <laughs> so I don't get it. Yeah. So when is it good for me to use that? <laughs> well, you've already used a bonus action. <laughs> right, yeah, because so you, you, you raged, so now you can't activate it. It's like, all right, how about you just give me a plus two? <laughs> yeah. In fact, it was already in your sheet. Right, exactly. And you want to also use a very limited number of single-use items, if at all. But I do think that that can be kind of fun. It's just another resource management tool, especially when you're taking away most of the other things. You're probably not going to be counting arrows unless it's a survival game. Yeah. But if you give everyone two healing potions, that gives everyone an incentive to either find more healing potions right. or carefully ration them out. Yeah, and games like Numenera and Cypher System where mm-hmm. you're expected to have those ciphers, right? And that's an opportunity to showcase the item subsystem especially when players probably aren't going to get to interact with that because you're not bothering with money and they're not buying anything or going shopping. Yeah. Speaking of which, I wouldn't even list money on the character sheet. Yeah, I would just give like an abstract, like wealth level, yeah. right? <laughs> Rich, poor, <laughs> or, moderate or, you know, income. 19G. Right. That's, that's what you have. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Right. Then the other thing is you have to be ready for players to try to change the characters, mm-hmm. right? Because lots of times people want to put their own spin on it. This is a hobby of creative people. Keep in mind, you know the group as a whole. So make sure that whether modified or unmodified, the group still works. Yeah, you want to be careful and make sure that you're preventing changes that alter power levels between the PCs. So it may sound fine to swap, you know, charisma or and intelligence scores. You know, oh, no big deal. You still have 117 and 112. You know, but that could have ramifications in other areas of the character reducing the spell DC that a player may not necessarily be aware of because they're not familiar with the system. But you, as the GM, should be aware of those things. Yeah, yeah. Or switching skills, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't want to be proficient in medicine. I want to be proficient in stealth. All right, well, we've already got somebody proficient in stealth, so you might step on their toes. Right, you want to carefully curate those areas of expertise that you built into this party right and of course you want to keep an eye out for power gamers uh yeah who are like no this is just one very simple this isn't as powerful (laughs) all right so what if you're a player what can you do to better utilize and enjoy pre-gens well sometimes you're going to get no prep time whatsoever you're going to get a sheet of paper in front of you and it's go right so what do you do (laughs) i would say right at the beginning Read your full sheet at least one time. Yep. You don't need to comprehend it all, but you want to know, oh, right, on like the second page, I saw that I'm good in forests. I'll just remember that, and if it comes up, it'll jog my memory. Right. Yeah, and I would say you also want to understand the core concept of the character. Mm-hmm. Are you a detective? Are you a mercenary? Are you a wizard? Are you an ace fighter pilot, right? And then what makes your character different from all the others like that character? Right. Why is your fighter pilot not like every other fighter pilot? On top of that, you want to understand the core mechanics of the character. 
how is it supposed to use the abilities? How does it in-game express the characteristics that you just mentioned in your core concept? Yeah, so I might be a mercenary, but if I'm not trained in brawl, I am probably not going to go out of my way to get in a fist fight, right? I'm going to go for an actual weapon. <laughs> yeah, and use those to help you put more personality into this character. You know, they don't have brawl, right. which means that they weren't growing up fighting on the streets. Right, right? right. They learned to fight with a weapon. Yeah, or look at the social skills especially. That informs a lot about your personality. Mm-hmm. If you have lots of deception and not a lot of persuasion, that means you're used to lying to get what you want. Right, That makes you manipulative. That makes you probably pretty underhanded. Whereas if you've got lots of intimidation, uh, you probably don't do a lot of talking. You do a lot of showing off. Yeah, we talked about this a bit in the one-shots episode, but it's fine to really play up these stereotypical aspects of your character if you're only going to play them for one or two sessions. And as a player, ask questions of your GM, either about the abilities or just ask for clarifications if you don't understand. Pay attention to the answer. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> and then also pay attention to the answers that other people are getting about their characters because there's an excellent chance that that's applicable to what you're doing because they're probably asking a pretty simple system question. Right, yeah. Yeah, especially uh, core mechanics are in modern games are very well conserved. So if you mm-hmm. understand how to roll an attack, that means you probably understand how to roll a skill check, mm-hmm. for example. And like we mentioned, every time we talk about playing with people you don't really know or in a situation that's a little bit different, don't be a dick. Yeah, honor the social contract. <laughs> uh, add your personality, have some fun, add your own personal touches, but honor the social contract and try and make sure that everybody's having fun, whether you're the GM or a player. The end. Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, <laughs> yes, you hissed very loudly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that can only mean one thing. It's... Time to move on to the Character Creation Forge and re-roll out of this Trandoshan. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You know that Trandoshans regenerate. I don't. Oh, yeah. They're basically trollish. I don't huh? know anything about Star Trek. <laughs> you can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at totalpartythrill at gmail.com. And last but not least, you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrillcast.com. Trandoshans are also the blood enemies of Wookiees because they grew up, uh, well, they evolved on planets in the same system. I don't care at all about Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) Did you know Kashyyyk is spelled with three Ys? I don't. (laughs) That's not even a word. Yoda would beg to differ. I don't watch Doctor Who. All right, the spell duelist. Doctor Who. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> he? He would be, yeah, except he, instead of throwing spells, he throws time. Oh, well, yeah. okay. That's E-Y-miness. A, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. That's okay. I don't actually watch Doctor Who. Yeah, there's too many seasons. <laughs> right, I'm a completist. Right. So, so the spell duelist fights magic with magic, right? He mm-hmm. or she will basically be a control wizard or or a control mage whose idea is to lock down other casters Mm -hmm. and in order to do that they need to be the best at counterspell and dispel magic which is a little bit of a strange 
action economy choice, mm-hmm. right? Because you're always reactive. So literally with counterspell, you use your reaction to prevent a spell from being cast. And then dispel magic is clearing away a spell that has already taken its effect. So the trick of this is you have to find some way to get the upper hand in the action economy. Cheating. Right. And for that, <laughs> we will look to the sorcerer. Who only cheats. Who is the best at everything. <laughs> Hashtag Bran was a sorcerer. Hashtag yes, all sorcerers. So what's the build? Dragon Sorcerer 17, Lore Bard 3. I like this one a lot. So the sorcerer will give you metamagic and sorcery points, which are going to fuel your nightmare concoction of <laughs> counterspell, dispel magic, uh, various battlefield control spells that are going to make it difficult for your opponents to get spells off as intended. So how is that going to help the action economy? Well, with Quicken Spell... Uh-huh you can cast extra spells on your turn. Extra spell. Well, an extra spell, yes. So you'll always get a reaction, and you'll always get an action to cast a spell. But with Quicken Spell, you can turn a spell into a bonus action. And the way that the spell casting economy works, that allows you to cast a cantrip and then a Quicken Spell. And then, you know, at any point during the round, you can cast a reaction. So you're basically getting to sneak a cantrip through on your opponent every round while locking down their choices. You're getting to sneak in and attack. Right. Or a prestidigitation. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you can... Also, I clean myself up. uh, Clean off the paladin's armor for him Mm -hmm. and then keep the mage in a box or a force (laughs) cage. Sir, are you bright enough? (laughs) Right. You know, it's not just about dispelling magic and counterspell. You want to look at things like the various wall spells because those will block line of sight and then we'll also perhaps literally block projectiles. Force Cage is another good one. Banishment is a handy one. You can buy yourself some time. Yeah, there are a lot of anti-magic magic spells. Yeah, except for anti-magic. That one is antithetical to everything you believe in. Yeah, so we're avoiding it. Also, sorcerers can't get yeah, it. Yeah, sorcerers can't get it. <laughs> and I wish we could have gotten silence on this, but that's fine. Well, that is another nice thing, actually, speaking of silence, is as a, as a sorcerer, you can take Subtle Spell, mm-hmm. which allows you to ignore somatic and verbal components. So you don't really need your hands or mouth to cast your spells anymore. Leaves them free for other things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes you much stronger against the typical anti-mage builds. Right. Right. Not only are you a mage killer, but you are a mage killer killer. Yeah. So Dragon Sorcerer gives you extra HP, which helps your resilience. It'll give you non-magical wings, which is handy for when somebody drops anti-gravity or reverse reverse gravity gravity on you. Or drops that anti-magic field. Yeah. At least you don't fall to your death. Right. And then you also get to add your charisma modifier to elemental damage of your dragon type. So you'll take the cantrip of whatever type of dragon you are and then add a little bit extra damage in there. That'll help your overall output. And then the lore bard gets you skills it gets you expertise and then what we really like is jack of all trades so jack of all trades lets you add half your proficiency bonus to an ability check that you make as long as you're not already adding your proficiency bonus so little known fact that includes initiative but it also includes dispel magic and counter spell checks right so at level 20 you're just getting an extra plus three on all of those which is automatically dispelling or countering a spell three levels higher than you normally would have. Exactly. And you're going faster, which increases the odds of just having the upper hand in the fight in the first place. 
and you've got deep slots, so the chances that you're going to run out of counterspell right. lower. Right. <laughs> and then we also like taking the magic initiate feat to gain guidance. Guidance gives you a d4 on an ability check that you make during its duration. So the timing might not work out for using a counterspell, but if you're standing in front of something and you are figuring out how to dispel it, that is definitely a time to use guidance. Oh, yeah. And also, I mean, you get two cantrips, right? Mm -hmm. So you could also take resistance, which is handy for helping your party and also helping yourself tank some more damage. That gives you a bonus to saving throws. Press the digitation. Yes, fine. You can can polish everyone else's armor. And make your soup taste good. Right. (laughs) So... How did your character become a spell duelist, Ishan? She hates magic. Wow. Yeah. She's pretty principled, in fact. It is, I must become the darkness to defeat the darkness. Okay. So her plan, kill all spellcasters, beginning with the evil ones, and then only after that will she begin murdering the rest of the party who can cast spells, and then all of the clerics who heal people around the world. And then at the last, when she's the only one left, she will she kill, kill herself. herself. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, that's a ambitious mission. Yes. I have a feeling right around level 12 or so, it's going to get derailed by yeah. some sort of epiphany. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to have to atone for that long trail of sorcerer bodies she's mm-hmm. left behind. Mm-hmm. Or, or or get a medal. Oh, yeah, one or the other. <laughs> she starts with the evil and works her way up. <laughs> yeah, that's always a nice arc. Right. As long as you can get a party to sign you on. But if you are not of the short-sighted evil variety, if you're saying, no, no, don't worry, this is decades away before I start killing any of you. Right. It's much easier to get hired. It's about that long con. (laughs) What about your spell duelist? So one of the things that always kind of drives me a little nuts in D&D is how much more powerful mages would be in a battlefield, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you wage traditional war? Uh, you know, lining up archers and lining up your rows of uh, of armsmen and, and rushing at each other in the typical medieval fantasy way? Or how do you conduct a siege, right, when you have literal fireballs that can be hurled at a city? Or move earth. Right. When commoners with pikes in their hands are going to just be so much lower level power than even second or third level wizards. The spell duelist is the answer. So my character was attached to a military unit as basically a protection wizard not responsible for keeping the men alive right not not an abjurer not preventing them from being harmed but preventing enemy spellcasters from targeting them mm-hmm. so his sole purpose was to keep the casters away so that the men can win the fight and then once the army lost he deserted kind of fell into a life of adventuring and it turns out there's a lot of magic in the world (laughs) and getting it out of the way for the rest of the adventuring party pretty handy ability people like that yeah i dig it so listeners if you have an idea for the backstory of your spell duelist tweet it to us at tbtcast and if you want to support the show the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on itunes and if you're willing to help us out we'll read your five-star review on the air and i will note we are behind on a couple reviews we will be getting to those in the coming weeks you can also find us on stitcher it's like a pandora for podcasts if you like or favorite us there the algorithm will help other people find us and you can now find us on google play as well so what do we have planned for next week's episode we'll be recording from gen con where we actually are right now right not as we're recording this but as we're releasing we'll be it. in the future right, as you're hearing this we are at gen con and probably also recording 
unless you're listening to this years later on down the line oh or our civilization has died but the radio waves have been transmitted right, somebody space. call doctor who get him to explain <laughs> how this all works fix this uh let's move on what are we going to do in the character creation forge well we'll be building a force mage well that's it for episode 53 of total party thrill i hope we've lived up to our name but either way i'm shane and i'm ishan thanks for listening Oh, yeah, so one of the things on our Gen Con schedule is playing in an Edge of the Empire game with Rich <laughs> Howard from Tribality. And I know that my character is a Trandoshan, which means I get to play up my s- accent because <laughs> I'm a lizard person and super annoying on a mic. Can't wait to edit that out. <laughs> I'm a Transdoshan. <laughs> I'm a droid. I kind of got stuck with the droid, but I'm okay with that because I've decided that this droid is an advocate of, of droid liberation, per- but perhaps secretly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sorry, you you want me to close the airlock? I don't. Why? I don't. Yeah, well, I don't I'm understand. Fine. I'm I don't fine. get it. I find this refreshing. It's brisk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gets the humidity right out. <laughs> right. <laughs>